0: Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You're in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And today we have a alum of Georgia Tech, Go Hornets, and Yellow Jackets, all that good stuff. And he's going to talk about Alzheimer's disease. Uh, he was working with the St. Petersburg Times before publishing his own magazine. And at the time at 50 his fifty year old wife was his fifty year old wife Martha was diagnosed with Alzheimer's back in ninety seven. His children were still school aged in high school and college. And so he's going to talk a little bit about early onset, uh, early onset Alzheimer's, and what you can do to actually navigate through those waters. Give us a little bit more information about that. I'm, I'm really excited uh, because this is something that most people are, aren't prepared for. So any information that we can get beforehand for preparation, in case that happens, I think all the better. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Carlin Maddox to the podcast. Welcome, Carlin.
1: Thank you, Hamza. Thank you, David. Good to talk with you. Glad to be here tonight.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thanks, the, thanks for joining us.
1: Yes, you're welcome. The um, just to pick up on what you were saying, Hamza. Uh, my wife was diagnosed with early onset at age 50. I was I was 52 at the time. We hadn't even mm-hmm. thought about. I didn't even know what Alzheimer's was. I may have heard of it, but certainly was not on. Uh, not on my horizon uh, for anything that was coming on and um, but it 's just the, the the just without boring on statistics the numbers out there are really uh, sort of depressing the i mean alzheimer 's right now is, seems to be growing in epidemic proportions uh, there 's about twenty two million people about about Five to six million who are living with Alzheimer's itself, but then the rest of that twenty two million are caregivers for those uh six million and of that total number i would I would guess uh, educated guess that we're talking about people young people I'm saying fifty and under with alzheimer's would be to two to three hundred thousand right now, and that's just unimaginable I mean you don't even think of somebody in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, the youngest I've heard so far as I've been speaking and reading and talking, I came across one young man who was in his 30s with Alzheimer's disease. Incredible. Whoa. So, Yeah, whoa. And uh, so it's not something that's front of mind as you've got young families or you're single and you're worried about a job and whatever else and who you're going to – uh, hook up with or whatever else—it's not something in front of mind. But uh, there's there right now. There is no medical solution to Alzheimer's. They—they are finding medical solutions to some aspects of cancer, some aspects of heart disease, but right now they have not found any way to diminish the rate of growth of Alzheimer's disease. And as I'm reading more and more, the thing I keep hearing about. Alzheimer's is, is the same thing that you'll hear about. If you want to have good health, if you want to have a good heart, if you want to have uh, just keep yourself in, in good shape, you just get the exercise, be eating right, sleeping right, and the like. But that's about the extent of uh, what's out there right now. And I am by no means I am by no means uh, an expert uh, medical doctor or the like or any kind of a counselor. I'm just coming from we lived with this for 17 years in our in our family and uh so you obviously learn a lot and have to deal with a whole lot uh, as you're going through that kind of experience
0: absolutely and, and thanks for for that uh introduction for that uh, because i'm i'm wondering you know at 17 years you're you're always going to continue to learn and looking back I think everyone always wants to know signs and traditionally like you said there's a difference between Alzheimer's and early onset Alzheimer's and the numbers are growing for early onset Alzheimer's so were there any indicators that looking back like oh wow the I, it was sure surely going to happen to your spouse
1: well I don't know about surely going to happen uh, there were questions raised uh, the most significant thing for me was a year before uh, Martha was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Uh, she was running for a, an open seat in the Florida State Legislature. Martha had been very active, invo- actively involved in politics and in civic activities. She'd been on the uh, city council here in St. Petersburg, Florida, back in the 80s. And so it was in 96 that she was running for uh, this uh, Florida State Legislative seat. And there was one event where uh, Martha and the three other candidates for this seat were speaking uh, to a uh, a group called the Tiger Bay Club. And this was the most significant event during the whole campaign. And the format is audience members would ask a question and each of the candidates had to respond. And I'd seen Martha in scores of uh, situations like this where previously she had been very direct, very responsive, uh, uh, and just gave very common-sense answers. But on this day, uh, in July of 96, uh, Martha had to ask for every question to be repeated. And when she responded, her answers were off the mark just a bit. I didn't know what was going on. And uh, when we got home, I said, Martha, what, what happened out there? Because I, in hindsight, I think uh, the way she mishandled that event cost her uh, her pri- cost her the election. She which she lost by twenty votes. But um, I asked Martha what was going on, and she said she was clueless. She said, "What are you talking about? Everything went just fine." And uh, so that raised a lot of questions and. I and our children began to notice that Martha was forgetting names more frequently and forgetting appointments. And uh, so we uh, got Martha into a doctor about a year after that in uh, September of of 97 uh, to get tested. And it was later in that month that uh, we got the
0: diagnosis. I, I like to get. I mean, we're going to dive into all the the uh, minutia and everything, but I, I want to kind of play time traveler, if you will, uh, with '96 and it's nine It's 2018. I'm sure you've seen a lot, and and there's no medical solution. So, and the, and the numbers continue to grow. I'm just wondering, as far as indicators, would someone in 2018 if the numbers are growing, you know, are there other things that? Because if if we have to go by forgetting names yeah, <laughs> or well, numbers, yeah,
1: well, uh, we all do that. I,
0: I can oh. understand that. This right.
1: Exceptional. For, this was exceptional for Martha in terms of the number, the number of forget, the amount of forgetting, and just. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're in politics, you don't forget names, you, you do, and you keep your appointments. And, Very true. Um, and so, very much, but in terms of, you're talking about where are we today as opposed to 96. Right. The, uh, the One of the main things today is there is a lot more good information out there, online, in books, support groups. Uh, the medical community is much more aware, I think, of uh, the kind of symptoms um, I was talking to Martha's neurologist recently, and just and he was just talking about how important it was just to get a good, clear diagnosis. And he he just gave an example. He said that uh, a patient came into him who had been diagnosed by someone who wasn't specialized in in the field, and he'd been diagnosed with having Alzheimer's. And so his wife was already getting him lined up for a nursing home and whatever else. And he said, when I went through his diagnosis, it was clear to me that he didn't have Alzheimer's. He had some symptoms similar to it, but he did not have Alzheimer's. And I, I don't know what the, the man actually had, but he said we were able to clear up his problems real quick. And mm-hmm. so it, it's just very important uh, if, You know, if you're just really, really fearful and and wondering and and family members are wondering, it's just important to go in and uh, get with a uh, neurologist or a good gerontologist who who knows the fields and knows the uh, aspects of Alzheimer's. Because I, I don't know if they can do it today. Back in 96, they could not actually diagnose Alzheimer's. They had to do it by process of elimination. And they would give martha they gave Martha different kinds of tests, and is it depression? is it a thyroid issue is it and went down several different things and checked off no, it's not this, not that, not that. The only thing it could be then is early onset alzheimer's and mm-hmm. early onset if, if a person doesn't know that means anyone who's diagnosed with alzheimer's under sixty five uh,
0: is diagnosed with
1: early early onset and uh uh, are we still there, Hamsa? I'm getting some information. Yeah, I'm
0: here. I, I'm okay. checking if it's if it's David. Um, can you yeah, hear I anything, know, David? We heard right. some interference.
1: I'm sorry. I just uh, dropped my phone. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Okay. All right. Uh, so as I was saying, early said Alzheimer's is anyone diagnosed with the disease who's under the age of 65, uh, and for somebody who's in their 40s, Uh, 65 seems pretty old, but still at the same time, what's causing a lot of the growth in this disease is my baby boomer generation that is just rushing into retirement, and it's a a huge bulge in the population, as you well know, and Mm so there's just a lot of people going into 65 and older, which is where the majority of the disease uh, shows up in that age group.
0: My pushback to that, Colin, is that uh, while the numbers continue to grow, and, and, and you're right with the baby boomers, the the numbers, at least online, by 2050, the numbers are expected to double. So that would go into, uh, you know, David and I, you know, Generation Xers, and gotcha. uh, running in, into that. And so, you know, we don't we don't have the population that the baby boomers have yet. Alzheimer's is expected to continue to grow and get more severe.
1: And I, I think uh, it's, it's not a matter of pushback. I think what's happening, um, as rapidly as this disease seems to be growing, my gut feel is that the fear of it is growing even faster, and people mm-hmm. are, are becoming even more uh, attuned to it. And, um, and as you well know, fear begets stress, and stress begets fear, and uh, mm-hmm. i i can't i I cannot tell you what caused martha's uh Alzheimer's uh, mm-hmm. but there were several issues of of stress that i was mm-hmm. discovering as we were going through this that just had not really been addressed by martha and um so it's just very important to to uh, keep us clear ahead and, as, and and keep your life as stressed. Free as as possible Um, I guess one of the big eye-opening things for me uh, as I was living through this with Martha I grew up thinking that illnesses and diseases were only a physical issue that had to be dealt with as such Uh, you need to take this medicine or you need this kind of surgery or whatever Uh, but it's very clear to me that also in addition to the physical uh, an issue like Alzheimer's but I think almost any kind of crisis particularly health crisis uh, is embedded with emotional psychological and spiritual issues that just really need to be recognized and dealt with as best we can and uh, I'm talking about issues I'm talking about are depression uh, anxiety uh, just a long-term resentment, anger, uh, guilt, uh, certainly stigma that's associated with uh, mental disabilities like Alzheimer's. All these things, uh, I usually in the past would just sort of ignore them and keep pushing ahead, but they really need to be addressed some way, getting with a, a good counselor or a good spiritual mentor or someone that you have confidence in and And just work through some of these things, and just get them out of your system as best you can mm-hmm. Carlin, was there
0: any history within uh, her family of like anyone else you know of? not
1: not prior to Martha being diagnosed with this um, after the fa- after Martha was diagnosed with it. Uh, it turns out her her mother's brother developed Alzheimer's, and her mother developed a form of dementia. I don't think it was Alzheimer's, but they were in their let me put this together. They were in their 70s and 80s when they developed mm-hmm. it. Um, there is a uh, there is a gene that they uh, have identified as being associated with Alzheimer's something called APOE4. I don't know what that means. But um, we had we had Martha uh, uh, tested for that, and she did not have that gene. So it's not, it's not an automatic thing that you, if you've got the gene, you're going to get Alzheimer's, or if you don't have the gene, you're not going to get Alzheimer's. But apparently uh, that gene, genetic structure, uh, it makes it a little bit more conducive.
0: I'd like to ask you about uh, you. I want to go back to stress, uh, because you had mentioned that your wife Martha she was active in politics, and as we grow in our careers and and get more responsibility and such, there is some associated stress with it. Do you think? I mean, this was probably going to be the most important seat, legislative seat in her life. Do you think the additional perceived stress was a trigger?
1: In terms of running for this office? Right. Um, No, I I mean, Martha had run several campaigns. Um, She had uh, run the local office for President Jimmy Carter's first campaign, uh, the local office down here, and then went on and ran some state campaigns and local campaigns as well as her own for the city council. That wasn't it so much. Martha, Martha had some issues. Uh, with her father that had just gone on pretty much her whole adult life, and just never had addressed these, never had addressed them uh, except in angry outbursts and stuff, and just, uh, and I guess that's what I'm talking about in terms of the resentment. I mean, I just I'd always I grew up in a Christian home, whatever kind of a faith anybody comes from. Uh, uh, forgiveness is an issue that usually is part of most most kinds of faith and just being civil. And I, I thought that forgiveness was a nice virtue that you could get around to, should get around to at some point whenever it was convenient. I just then, I just uh, become more, much more acutely aware of just how self destructive sharing resentment can be and I, I think that was certainly an ingredient in terms of Martha's stress uh, I mean did, was she Martha? Martha's energy level was twice mine and she was always on the move and so she didn't take time to just be quiet and still and reflective and whatever that I think all of us need to do at different intervals in our lives um, I mean having three kids and being involved like that, and I, I had a magazine. I was an entrepreneurial magazine publisher, trying to get the magazine off the ground here in, in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, just it was it was very hectic kind of a lifestyle. So I, that could very well have been a contributing factor as well. But I just I just don't know.
0: Let me ask you. I want to reset. Let's do a, a reset, if you will, kind of play the game with me, because in uh, well, first of all, let me say for the record, I don't have children. But for this conversation, I do want to say that most kids coming up today, they, are, they have every minute of their waking hours accounted for, right? They have the, the play dates, they have, and yeah. they're, they're, they don't lay on their back and out in the backyard and watch the clouds go by or watch clouds form or they don't have that free time. And so you're saying if we're running, the body's going to give up on us at some point and hopefully later than sooner, but we're coming out of the wound today with that type of hectic lifestyle. Uh,
1: Absolutely. The the culture that we're in right now just doesn't permit much downtime at all, and not just for kids, for adults, Um, in terms of the pressure to make a living and the pressure to be with your peers and and the like. And it's, it's, it's important to be with your friends and and, and the like, but it's also just very important to take some time to be quiet. Um, I mean, one of the things that Martha and I learned as we early on is after her diagnosis, um, a, a Catholic nun up in Kentucky that we visited with for a week just said we might want to check out meditation. And this was in 1997. So meditation, or certainly transcendental meditation, been around since the 70s, so that wasn't a new concept. But neither one of us had practiced that, of just being quiet for 15 to 20 minutes in the morning, 15 to 20 minutes in the evening, and just doing whatever the concept of meditation is. We were, were repeating a, a word or a mantra just for that period of time what happened with us there was nothing magical about it but just over time I began to sense that Martha was becoming less anxious she was just showing herself to be more relaxed I certainly was feeling that as well so I I, I consider that to be very important very critical uh, as we were going through this 17-year odyssey
0: and with meditation, like any exercise, you start out and you're like, well, how do I calm this monkey mind? And you come to a point, like you said, with transcendence, did the meditation sessions start to grow over those 17 years? You mean grow in length or what? Yes, growing length.
1: No, I've, I've kept it. I mean, we were following the, uh, the the tradition of a certain Benedictine monk who was just suggesting his, his whole concept was he wanted to get this concept of meditation outside the monastic walls into the into the lives of folks like us who were running on the street all day long and, um, and his suggestion which i followed still to this day is just like 15 to 20 minutes in the morning and 15 to 20 minutes in the evening mm-hmm. and then Uh, if you feel yourself getting stressed up, just taking a deep breath, relaxing and uh, repeating that mantra for a few minutes and just sort of backing away from that scene and then going back in after you sort of uh, caught yourself that way. So, no, it hasn't grown to hours on end or whatever else. Um, I read a book about the Dalai Lama and and Archbishop Tutu, and I saw that both of them were, uh, the Dalai Lama was, meditating three to five hours early in the morning and bishop tutu was praying two to three hours every morning i just i've never gotten to that
0: point <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> i'm laughing there's a saying, and I, I wish i could remember where i heard the saying, but uh from a religious standpoint someone was you know at the end of the night and they were lamenting they were going through a crisis and so they were you know praying like you know how come you won't listen to me you won't answer me and I I've done all the right things I'm supposed to do and and so the creator Jesus at this point said well you know you pray to me in the morning or you pray to me in the evening and then you don't know anything about me you don't think I exist during the day I'm with you throughout yeah, the whole day exactly. so
1: well yeah i mean my, my experience has been that this discipline practice of sort of on the book end of the days uh, is it just it has, does increase my awareness of mm-hmm. something beyond me and beyond what I'm doing. I mean, not all the time. I, I certainly still get obsessed at times and I get preoccupied and whatever. But I'm becoming more aware of, uh, of situation of, of when I am doing that. And I'm able to back away some. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you just can't just. I'm blocking out these 20 minutes and then not even trying to uh, be aware of how I'm coming across and aware of my situation or where I am and and, and the like and aware of other people around me. Um, so, I, you know, I'm 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 not a theologian or, or a pastor or anything. So I, I probably don't understand all all I'm supposed to on that, but it it certainly was helpful to us. And I I, I do know that uh, what surprised me about as we would spend this time in meditation is um, I uh, I sensed an intimacy, just a nonverbal intimacy growing between Martha and me that we had not experienced in the 25 years of our marriage at that point. And uh, that was that was that was very meaningful, very very important for me. And I I think he, he just have an innate instinct that Martha was sensing that same thing as well. He, she never talked to me about it. Well, I'm able to talk to me about that. But uh, I, I sensed that that was there as well. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, Carlin, I was just going to ask you uh, real quick in In you know the seventeen years that you were you know dealing with it and your wife did you were, are you aware of any uh statistics as far as how prevalent it is with the men as opposed to women is it yes. not like
1: uh the alzheimer's association has a lot of statistics if anyone is interested they can go to that and they have a uh a, a button you can get to their statistic- guys but uh those diagnosed with Alzheimer's, two thirds are women. Wow, mm-hmm. interesting. And don't ask, don't don't ask me why, but that's that's what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, think, yeah, was, I, I, I I I do think one of the things women are more prone to be caregivers, whether someone is sick or not. But I mean, they're the ones who're watching after the children, making sure they're doing all right. And, Uh, That so that could very well the stress from that could very well be uh, uh, a factor. One of the things I haven't really made uh, clear right now is that a lot of the focus has been on trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's, and the focus has been on the person who's living with Alzheimer's, the disease itself. But right now, the burnout rate among the caregivers of those with alzheimer's family caregivers the burnout rate is just rampant Um, and uh, there's no statistical information that i've seen i've certainly uh, seen some anecdotal information where the caregivers often may die before the person they're caring for and Mm -hmm. uh, just because of uh, the 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 stress. If you if someone has not been around the person with Alzheimer's, uh, they probably just can't understand what that stress is. But I mean, emotions just can turn on a dime. Uh, you, you can expect you're going to be going in one direction, and you wind up going in another direction. And you just got to. I mean, I, after a while, I just had to get to a point where I realized that. You know i really need to step into martha's world I, I need to stop trying to make her correspond with my world and the world as we have been living in it i need to step into her world and try to understand what she's communicating um she was able to talk for the first two or three years but about the third year or so it was still talking but not making a lot of sense so uh i i just uh, the timeline escapes me but uh after a while martha was just not able to talk at all and so you just there's a lot of instinctive kind of stuff that you have to be attuned to and have, be willing to be attuned to and so um it's just uh, there it's a very cliche kind of saying that anybody who's been around caregiving knows it's just but if you're really going to take care of your loved one, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to get your exercise. You've got to get a break. And you've got to be able to step away for a while. That doesn't mean that you're ignoring and that you're uh, not responsible, but it's being responsible to give yourself a break. And that was that was one of the things that uh, two older children gave me it was the best gift i had during these 17 years after they got home from graduated from college uh david and rachel came to me and and just said daddy we want to give you a weekend a month off where you take off friday afternoon after work and then come back in sunday afternoon and i jumped on that offer quick Uh, (laughs) i mean i I wound up I, I wound up going to a monastery where it was quiet. I could vent. I could I could go to the orange trees up there at the monastery where I was. I could go walking, uh, read, write my journal, whatever, and just not have to be strictly focused on what's going on with Martha right now. But that was tough on the kids. I mean, uh, they had to step into a role reversal with their mother, and that's just that's a hard thing to do they were in their early to mid twenties at that point and um, uh, it was but it sure was helpful to me uh, it just uh, so there are a lot of things that a caregiver needs to think about doing but we just uh, my experience is well i i'm I'm a responsible guy i can I can do all this myself I can take care of this and you i mean i I got charged one time too many before I finally said, I've got to, I've, I've got to have some friends helping here. I've got to have some family helping here. I've got to get a, pay a caregiver to come in while I'm at work, and, and be with Martha during the day. Um, uh, but you, if you can learn that lesson early, rather than later on like I did, uh, you'll be a lot better off in terms of asking friends to help. And uh, if someone offers to help, not, say, not be polite and say, no, you don't need to do that. Thank you very much. If someone offers to help, say, okay, what can we work out here? And bring them all forward and just get that kind of
0: help as much as you can. Absolutely. And so you were talking about women being the majority of people that get Alzheimer's. And did, I don't know if you knew that men are the are a higher number of getting Parkinson's
1: disease. I did not know. I haven't haven't seen that. Well, yeah,
0: there's uh, a I have a, a colleague that owns a home care company, and all of her men that that ha, you know she sends caregivers out to, they all have Parkinson's, and all the people that have Alzheimer's are women. I mean, it's not that cut and dry, but the right. representative numbers right. are definitely there.
1: I wonder, why do you think that is on our part? Any explanation Uh, for
0: that? It's just more of the, I think it's more of the motor skills in that, you know, guys are usually traditionally with their hands and, you know, throughout life. And so that could contribute to it. Um, One one school of thought for Alzheimer's is, uh, and, and again, you know, just an asterisk by the statement here, so we don't get any calls yeah. from the yeah. from FDA or anything like that. But uh, my friend, she used to be a, a pharmaceutical sales rep in the '90s, and in the '90s there was a lot of uh, pushes from the industry that I won't name, so we don't get flagged. But there was a huge push in the '90s for cholesterol pills, and when people were taking right. those cholesterol pills, a, a unfortunate side effect was the actual extra oxygen or water liquid that keeps the brain healthy was actually drying out. And so, there's a school of thought that it exacerbated and brought on Alzheimer's.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, after going through the 17 years uh, of this, um, I wound up writing a book on our experiences. Um, they. I, I, and I, I I didn't think about uh, my kids asked me why I decided to write the book and I just it, it was not on my mind going through that but we'd, I, I felt like I would learned so much and had so much sort of interesting experiences through this odyssey that it was worth just trying to explain it and I'm a journalist by background and, and editor and journalist and so um, I, I don't know if you mind my mentioning the book or not. None at all. It's, it's it's called A Path Revealed, how hope, love, and joy can uh, found us on uh, found us in a maze called Alzheimer's. A path revealed, and it it can be found on. Uh, you can buy it from any bookstore, order it from any bookstore. They probably don't have it in stock, but Amazon would have it in stock or whatever else if anybody's interested. Uh, And it just uh, really – I've gotten excellent feedback on it. It's been pretty strong sales. And uh, so I just – I pass that along to anybody who's interested. And I also have – I've been uh, writing a blog since uh, September of 2015, just laying out the experiences and my learning experiences through this. And that's on uh, carlinmaddox.com, C-A-R-L-E-N. M a d d u x dot com, mm-hmm. and uh, so if, it's, if if somebody wants to sign up and follow my posts on that, that's no charge on that. Uh, so just be glad to have anybody who who'd be interested in that. Yes,
0: absolutely. So let me ask you with the with regards to the caregiver burnout. Um, I personally lost a sister to uh, suicide uh, uh, two years ago. And initially, like most people like, well, you know, you have all these questions. And then I started finding these support groups that was really helpful. And as our numbers continue to grow with Alzheimer's, uh, have you done that route or have you been a resource now in addition to your book of going to some of these groups? Uh, because you have sev- you're, you have 17 years of experience that people can actually draw on.
1: Yes, when Martha was diagnosed in 97, there was, uh, I I asked our neurologist about a a support group, and he said, I know of only one here in St. Petersburg, and he discouraged us from, discouraged me from getting involved in it. He said, you know, the, the folks who are in that support group are dealing with a spouse who is in Just the late last stages of Alzheimer's, and I think you would find it more depressing than you would helpful. Uh, And so I never, I never did check that out. Uh, But there were not a lot of support; there were just not many support groups at all. Uh, Today there is just a lot more support groups around, and I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, to, uh, just talk at at a variety of Support groups, church groups, uh, been interviewed on a number of radio programs, and like with you guys here you know, on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, I've I've had that kind of opportunity and just been able to get the feedback from a number of people of how they're dealing with situations like this. And um, I, I've got one good friend up in Nashville who's been in who's now in the twelfth year of caring for his wife. And he's been involved in just an excellent support group from the get-go, which is being led by a a doctor, uh, which is excellent. And uh, it's just been very beneficial to him. So uh, it just depends on where you live as to whether there would be any good support groups out there. I, my suspicion is that, more support, more support groups will be in the larger cities or towns than just if you're out in a rural area. Uh, there yeah. may not be so much uh, in terms of talking about the issues and how did this work for you and how did that work and and uh, just getting that kind of a feedback. So, I mean, are you saying that you've been involved in a family suicide support group, or are you talking about just or, um... Yes.
0: Yes, and I'm, and what I'm saying I'm saying two things. One, uh, one thing that I really appreciated was the the human element. So you can kind of go touch yes. these people. These these are real people, and so. But the other side was um, since we're, we're all connected online, you know, you have the Facebook groups and such. So you're actually speaking with people across the world, and so you're kind of connected in that in that regard. And so I know on some of the boards. On Facebook, there are moderators that kind of echo what, you're, what you were talking about when you had spoken with your doctor, that they kind of right. monitor if you're going to go down that rabbit hole of, of, of depression so it doesn't happen. Right. It's more of, you know, let's kind of keep it light and let's all stay on the same page. So right. Right. for a number of subject matters, I just found the groups helpful.
1: It's, you're absolutely right, Hanson. I mean, there's no question about it. And I'm sorry to hear about your sister. I mean, just
0: uh, it, uh, That's a tough.
1: Is she older or younger than
0: you? No, yes, yeah, she was younger.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, uh, and that and that actually kind of goes into my next question because she was she was in Spain, right? She lived over there, and so you know the question, like I was asking you initially, well, what were the early signs? And you know, someone not living that far away, you don't talk to them every day, you don't see them every day, and so earlier in the podcast, we were talking about, you know, children having every hour of the day managed and we kind of need to go back to letting them relax and have a childhood. And so my my question to you is, do you feel like we're going to go back with uh, families too? Because with with historically, families kind of stayed together or they lived across town, you know, maybe the jobs weren't there in certain cities, so now you have family that's all over the globe, so they're not together, and maybe that would kind of uh, balance out this caregiver burnout because there's only usually one other family member that could deal with someone going through Alzheimer's or anything else. Yeah. uh,
1: There are a lot of situations where um, one sibling would be taking care of a parent with dementia or alzheimer's and other siblings are living elsewhere and then they come into town to visit and then suddenly they become uh critics you're not doing this and you're not doing that and so that could be that could be a very tricky kind of a situation and uh mm-hmm. feelings can get hurt real quick um and it's just each family's got to got to figure it out in terms of if some if we want someone to be in charge the one who's local then we need to let them be in charge <laughs> and they oh, need, need to honor that and mm-hmm. um I i would say this in terms of our three children I have two living in here one in tampa one in st pete and and then a daughter up in the D.C. area. Uh, I'm not sure they would be as close as they are right now, that they would have each other's backs like they do had they not gone mm-hmm. through this.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: nobody wants to go through this uh, mm-hmm. to have families get along with each other. But that's that certainly was, a. I think, has been a very positive outcome out of a very tragic kind of a situation. And... Um, uh so you know it, it's every family is dysfunctional what can i say um, <laughs> that's why
0: everyone moves away right you're like i gotta get out of town <laughs> well, well it
1: just it just depends on the degree of dysfunction and it just
0: right from,
1: but, but anyway yeah yeah
0: it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Carlin, about of resentment. And so you were saying, well, maybe women have it more because, you know, they're used to being the caregivers and, and and they have so much stress associated with it. So they have this resentment that they don't usually voice. And if we're using this whole it takes a, a neighborhood or it takes a community to raise a child, If if there were other people around just in the rearing, you know, maybe that resentment wouldn't be there. Uh, maybe we would see more signs, you know. It's um, this is really interesting well, I, I, a, a way to attack it. I can't connect the
1: dots quite that tightly. Uh, I mean, I had my own share of resentment, one in in terms of within the family that I grew up in, but also just getting resentful that I was having to spend this much time taking care of Martha, and I just I mm-hmm. just had to I had to learn to let that go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not an easy thing to do. It's certainly a lot easier just to say talk about it than it was to do it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just just growing up. Uh, there's I I don't, I don't know how we do a do a major reshift in in our culture, but it's just uh, kids are either as you're talking about they're totally occupied they their own. On an iPad or, or watching the TV or something else, and just um, it's just um, there's not as much reading time that's going down. Where which is a very quiet kind of time that you're just by yourself and reading.
0: Uh,
1: that's uh, <clears throat> seem to be a lot more limited today. But certainly, uh, parents are very reluctant to let their kids just go out and wander the neighborhoods. I mean. When I was growing up, I'm, and I'm 73 now, so but that's a different generation for you guys. But maybe for when you are growing up, it just I could go all over town and mm-hmm. just agree that I'd be back by such and such time, and uh, or generally, and it's just it was no no kind of an issue to, in, in those days. So I, sure. I, I mean, I, our our son David has three children who are. Twelve down to six, and our daughter Rachel has two children who are who are uh, seven and four, and um, they're just they're dealing with different issues than when uh, they were growing up, and when we were having to deal with them.
0: Oh sure, yeah, Go ahead, David. Uh, no, I was going to ask Carlin. I don't know. In that seven years, were you ever aware of the the rates of Alzheimer's, and you know, globally, like in other countries, and did you at any time did you maybe go through a phase of looking at treatment, like how other countries deal with treating it, and looking for answers outside of the United States?
1: I I did do some exploring there. I, I didn't find out a lot of information. Um, I uh, was reading about a Harvard doctor. Uh, a neurologist who spent time in China and just talking about that experience, but it wasn't directly related to Alzheimer's. I mean, I, I was I was having to, there just weren't a lot of books out on Alzheimer's at that point, so I was going around in circles a lot, just trying to understand as, from a, many different angles. So to, to be specific in my answer, I didn't find any, anything that people were uh, coming up with uh, answers about Alzheimer's that uh, we haven't come up with here in in the States, David. The, uh, the, I I forget the number, but it's, it seems to be, it's just massive. If there there are five to six million living with Alzheimer's here, I think worldwide, uh, and I've, uh, just don't hold me to this. It's something like 50 million worldwide with Alzheimer's. Uh, so it's, it's just a massive problem. That's not just uh, not just identified with our Western culture here in the United
0: States. Hmm. Yeah. So when you're talking about Alzheimer's disease, I mean it's memory loss. There's a big cognitive decline. And you had talked about riding your bike and being around town and reading and things like that. Right. And with with technology there's more of a reliance I'm guilty of it too, so you know, I'm not standing on, <laughs> on any soapbox, where there's a over reliance on my Alexa or my, you know, Google assistant and you're not using you're not using your typical brain exercises that was probably use more often so do you think not exercising your mind as usual like you're supposed to exercise your body could also contribute to uh that's
1: my yeah that's my gut feel i mean i mean just think about it if you had to add a string of numbers right now how would you do it you'd Mm -hmm. do it with a calculator that's right and uh and you wouldn't even spend time going down the First row and then coming up in second row and then third row and the third, fourth row. I mean, and that's just that's just a different – I mean, I I don't know what's happening in the schools right now. I don't know if they're just permitted to use calculators or if they have to do multiplication by and by in their head and adding in their head or whatever else. But uh, that could very well be an issue. It could very well be a problem. I just uh, we're we're just speculating here, guys. Uh, sure, of course. Of, In in terms of what are the contributing causes? I mean, I I read there have just been scores of clinical trials relating to Alzheimer's, 100 to 200, is comes in that range. And Martha was in an experimental trial whenever she, right after she was diagnosed, and none of them have produced anything. Uh the, uh the what they produced is we know that this doesn't work so we won't do that anymore
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but uh you know i'll read i'll read in the paper or read in the magazine about this breakthrough or whatever else uh as far as uh, resolving the whole issue of uh, alzheimer's and i look down at the very bottom in the fine print well this is still at the mouse stage Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Just uh, let's let's put headlines out there whenever there's really something substantial.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, uh, anyway, that's that's just sort of my idea
0: right now in terms of. I guess I'm. I think my. That's fine. I think the other answer to that is I'm not sure if that's actually going. What happened on a grand scale now, the way technology is going, there's more of a a proclivity, if you will, to going to personalized medicine. And so they are using technology to find those indicators, maybe not the APLE4 that you mentioned, that gene associated with Alzheimer's. But as we continue on, it, it seems like your Alzheimer's isn't like my Alzheimer's, and the treatment will be different. So are you see, have you seen any of that in your research with personalized medicine? Uh,
1: no, I haven't. But, I mean, the point that you're making is everybody's situation is different. I mean, just
0: this,
1: uh, uh, this friend over here has cancer, and another friend over here has a different form of cancer. I
0: mean, it's just right. uh,
1: that's that's what makes it it's such a, a variable here. But, and, no, I, I haven't gotten that deep into the weeds on on that right now though
0: now when 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 someone's diagnosed with Alzheimer's obviously you're you're not obviously prepared for it especially early onset Alzheimer's but you highlight that there's something that we learned in first grade that can help us take care of a parent or a spouse or a loved one with a long-term illness I'd like for you to yeah. talk a little bit about that
1: yeah I mean this is something that I think everybody when they're being taught how to get across the street just to stop look and listen and uh, it was just very important for me to stop when Martha was trying to communicate something to me when she was not able to talk I just rather than stay, rather than be distracted I just needed to stop and focus in on what she was trying to tell me and just and just pay attention and and uh, and just work through that to a point where she is just not as frustrated as, as she was getting to be um, The what wh- one of the things that was just ex- it was just a, a extremely great gift if you will about 18 months after Martha was diagnosed
0: uh,
1: and Martha was a very had been a, all of her life had been a very confident woman, but she became deflated after the diagnosis, and and just the confidence had pretty much disappeared. Become much more passive, and uh, her outlook. Our our sister-in-law uh, encouraged Martha to get into a watercolor painting class and um, And it was just amazing. Uh, Martha had never been into painting She'd always been an outdoor girl like tennis like swimming dancing Hiking that kind of thing and I was surprised when she agreed to to get into this class But over the course of two years, it's just amazing some of the stuff she came out with her coloring was just bold vivid uh, different Unique kind of kind of thing that I just hadn't I didn't know that was possible. And Martha's confidence just reemerged during that time, and she became reengaged. I mean, I remember the time she would say, "Let's go to the let's go to the craft shop." And She wanted to go there, and she looked through all the paint brushes and the paints and the paper and everything, and making decisions. And That was just wonderful to behold, uh, coming off of the. Just the depressing kind of time that we've been going through. So mm-hmm. it's 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 important to what is it that it's important to look for? Sort of the, some of the small gifts, some of the things that you, your spouse or your parent uh, just may be getting their attention. And uh, I, there was a. Uh, my neurologist pointed me, Martha's neurologist pointed me to a uh, to a uh, YouTube uh, where this older gentleman uh, African-American was just into a deep deep kind of Alzheimer's or dementia just nothing would get his attention it turns out that he had a musical music background and someone, one of the one at the nursing home where he was, one of the attendants picked up on this, and so started playing the piano with him. And suddenly, th- this man sh- started waking up and getting alert. Well, it turns out that in his earlier life, he had been in a band, mm-hmm. and and some of his band members. All older and retired at this point uh, got word that he was interested in doing some music some more and they came together and the guy was starting playing the piano again mm-hmm. and when, he, when he'd just been totally out of it so it's it's really important to try to seek out those things that will just uh, allow that inner person to reemerge however however that could happen
0: those are really good points, Carlin. It makes me think of before a baby's born, how parents will play music to the baby. You know, it's supposed to increase their intelligence. And as you're saying, later in life, you're kind of reminded of, of the simple things. And other thing I've seen um, online and in local groups here, you have a lot of adult coloring groups. And so yes. you're thinking, wow, we're you're, we're gonna get together in color, but it's kind of like you said, you're you're taking a step back and just remembering the simpler things, and it it gives you all those endorphins go off that you never would have imagined.
1: Exactly, exactly. I mean, and that I can tell you as as Martha's caregiver, that was a great relief to me. It was great for Martha, but it was also a great relief to me, and um, just. Uh, got some of my painting some of her paintings up on my website under the uh, the about uh, button uh, that if anybody's interested in seeing it and um, it's just uh, pretty incredible kind of stuff that uh, came out and that that this lasted about two years for her and then she lost interest in
0: it and uh,
1: yeah faded faded away
0: yep yep And so uh, with your book, if you want to take this time, we are at the top of the hour, so I'd love for you to uh, highlight your book one more time where they can get it and your website where they can follow your blog. Sure. Uh,
1: The name of my book is A Path Revealed, How Hope, Love, and Joy Found Us Deep in a Maze Called Alzheimer's and uh, you can find it on Amazon under that title or under my name, Carlin Maddox, C-A-R-L-E-N-M-A-D-D-U-X, and that is my website as well. It's www.carlinmaddox.com, and you can sign up for my blog there or just check out anything else I've I've got going there, and uh, uh, just be glad to have, uh someone has if they get my book and they have questions you can e- my email is on my website and you can email me and get in contact that way uh so yeah it's just uh thank you very much for that opportunity
0: absolutely well you you've been in tune to another episode of intrinsic motivation from a homie's perspective this is hamza and i am david Carlin, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Let's stay in touch, sir.
1: Okay, um, I appreciate it very much. Thank you, David. Yes, Thanks thank you. Okay.
0: Thank you. Uh-huh. All Bye. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for future podcasts that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.